0: Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton.
1: Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to episode 28 today. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, what's up, buddy?
0: Hey man, how's it going? Been a busy week over here in the great state of Texas, but uh, excited about today's show. We have folks wall to wall.
1: Yeah, we have three guests that's going to be joining us today, so it should be uh, fast paced and hopefully we'll get some some good information out and uh, looking forward to it.
0: Yep, and real quick, I'm sure... I'll mention it when the guest comes on, but the uh, SPE conference I will be attending. And so if you will be there, uh, let me know. Ryan at GlobalEnergyMedia.com. I would love to meet up with you. I'm not sure if I'll be there all three days or just one or two. I haven't pinned down my entire schedule, but I will be there for some of it. Also, I forgot to tell you about this, Josh, uh, but there's a a conference in Dallas. Uh, It's called The Money Show, and it is October 4th, 5th, and 6th. If you just Google The Money Show, um, it will be in Dallas, and I will be there if you're into investment strategies and trading and stuff like that. Uh, you might find it of value. It's uh, free to get in, last time I checked, and so it's going to be here starting October the 4th, and it goes through the 6th, and so one of my previous guests from the Global Leaders podcast, uh, Phil Flynn, will be there, and so um, anyways, forgot to mention to, uh, that to you, Josh, before the show, but just thought about it, so I will be there the 4th, 5th, and 6th, and then I'm heading down the following week to the SBE conference.
1: And the SPE conference, so that's going to be the 9th through the 12th, or what was the dates
0: on that? 9th through the 11th in, uh, in October, uh, and that will be in San Antonio at the uh, convention okay. center down there. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, and so we're now we're going to be on Tom G. to tell us about that conference and to give us all the information that uh, the listeners might be interested in. Well, Tom, it's a pleasure to have you on. I'm excited about being down in San Antonio October 9th through 11th. Um, it's good to have you on today. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing just fine today. I appreciate you asking. Okay, well, great. Well, the Society
0: of Petroleum Engineers, um, you guys are having your big show. Let's just kind of step back real quick and just kind of give a just a quick overview for the listeners who may not be familiar with your organization. What's it about?
2: Well, what the annual technical conference and exhibition, which we go by ATCE to you know, condense it a bit, um, is basically about educating um, the public and the people in the industry of our New technology and innovation that is coming out. Um, this is done in various manners. Um, the topic overall for the SPE this year and the ATCE is looking back to move forward, and the organization is celebrating its 60th anniversary. So we're moving forward in various areas now. I'd like to point out that I've been involved with the ATCE since 2005 in various capacities, currently serving on the drilling program subcommittee. So what the subcommittee does is we take all the abstracts that come in, uh, call for papers, and build the technical program out of what is submitted. Um, The various subcommittees put those together, and we've come up with a little over 300 um, presentations that will be given at the um, annual conference. This will include panels, um, and then we also have um, items such as the, um, the opening general session on sustainable oil and gas, improving people's lives, which is Monday morning. Um, then we have the ATC annual reception and banquet on Tuesday evening, which will include more presentations from um, our honored guests. And then the president's luncheon and annual meeting of the members on Wednesday. So between the, the technical program, the panels and everything involved, such as what I just mentioned, um, it gives everybody a full taste of um, the technology in the industry, and also allows what I think is one of the most important things about the program is the networking that's involved.
0: Well, Tom, you guys have a lot going on. As you've kind of touched on, just a few things here for our listeners that you have a startup village where um, companies that are going to be getting ready to, you know, looking for seed money or whatever, they can participate. Um, you got an Energy for Me workshop. You mentioned a second ago there's technical presentations. There's an, an exhibition hall. It sounds like, if I'm hearing this right, um, if you're really into the technical nitty-gritty type stuff, like an engineer might be, um, th- th- this there's, there's opportunity for you. And if you're into a sales and marketing also, there's opportunity for you there as well. It sounds like this conference is really well balanced as far as what it offers.
2: Oh, absolutely. And everything from the start in the morning from breakfast through the luncheons all the way to the evening where you either like on on Monday evening, like I stated, you've um, got the um, opening. There's a a technical um, gathering of everybody for an opening reception. Um, And then in the evening, say like on Tuesday where you've got the annual reception and banquet, um, it's You've got all day long, plus San Antonio is such a wonderful city that you can go out and then go with your um, peers from the industry and, and, uh, and enjoy this. One other thing I'd also like to mention is Special Session 6, Women in the Industry, Own Your Own Future, Special Session 8, which is a peer-reviewed specific report. That's very hot topic for Texas right now. And then the third, I'd like to recommend Special Session 9. The Production and Operations Advisory Committee, Can Unmanned Vehicles and Robotics Create a Step Change in the Oil Industry? Those, among the other special sessions that they've created, I think should be a big draw.
0: Okay, great, and and one final thing before we let you go, it's, and for the listeners again, it's October 9th through the eleventh in San Antonio. I will link to it in the show notes so you can sign up on the website. They have a justification toolkit, you know, for for companies, um, you know, you're trying to convince your boss to go. But in your own words, if you were going uh, to to say, "Hey, boss, hey, here's what I would tell my boss if I was trying to get uh, time off or you know paid leave to come to this event," what's the biggest takeaway? You said you've been coming for a long what, time.
2: I think it's. The the knowledge you get from it, the overall education you get, I get from the technical program. Um, like I stated, networking is an important piece of it also with the industry the way it is. It's um, beneficial to know others, um, you know, and, and, you know, keep your network open and, and work with them. Make sure you take care of guys that maybe if they um, ha- are having problems in their position, you can help them in, in where you're at um so that's what i'd i'd like to point out is just the education and the networking are very important to me, and that's what I explained to my immediate supervisor and his.
0: Okay, well, Tom, look, it's uh, it's going to be a good time. I think I'm excited. It's my first SPE conference to attend. Um, and so San Antonio, as you mentioned, is a great place to go. So our listeners, obviously, here in Texas, you know, if you're in Texas and you can get off the 9th through the 11th, it's a great opportunity for you to go to hear cutting-edge technology, to network, network with people. If you're into, um, as, you, as we say, technical stuff or whatever this conference has an opportunity for you so tom hopefully i'll get to meet you while i'm there and meet some of the listeners that will be there as well i know i've been talking on twitter there is uh spe chapters for different you know colleges and stuff i know i think the the new mexico group is sending like 40 people i think they told me the other day so it should be a well attended conference and i look forward to seeing everyone there october 9th to the 11th tom thank you for your time today
2: thank you very much and i look forward to meeting you at the conference
1: all right. Today we have our guest, David Blackman, a Forbes contributor. On today, uh, David, we got a few articles that we pulled from uh, your shale uh, roundup. We saw that the the oil was around fifty dollars a barrel, yeah. and uh, they're kind of holding at that price. What do you think? Is it going to stay above that for the rest of the year? What's the what are you what are you seeing?
3: Well, you know, it, it it'll go up and down uh, to some extent uh, over the quarter course of the rest of the year you know i mean it just always does but uh i think it it, the way the market has shaped up and and with opec continuing to have pretty decent compliance with its uh, export limitations deal um it really is looking like uh, we're going to be in that 50 dollar you know 48 to 51 dollar barrel range here for the rest of this year um and, and that's good. I mean, you know, uh, six months ago, we were sitting around 43, 44 and wondering if we're going to get above 45. So it's up 15 percent since then. And um, and, and just the, the, the market, there's all these factors converging to just uh, create a market that's very stable with very low amount of volatility in it right now. And, and I just think that's going to last through the end of the year
0: yeah we had you on I think it was June or July. you'd put out a piece talking about this and um yeah and so we, we you know I guess my question is what what do you think as we get you know get close to the fourth quarter of this year um and, and we look ahead of twenty eighteen uh if it stays above fifty let's just say and I, yeah like you say it's gonna drop down a little bit here and there but the, but average is above fifty for the last last part of the year um when we go into 2018, is that a good thing? Or will it maybe look, uh, maybe some of these producers kind of overextend their drilling budget as they go into 2018. (laughs) You know, that's always a concern, isn't it?
3: Well, (laughs) it's always a concern. It's always going to happen. Um, Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, at the end of last year, we, we had that uptick in the price because OPEC entered into its export limitation deal. Right. And the price went up a little bit above 50 for WTI and all these Producers here in the United States who have been just had all this pent up desire to drill wells decided, Hey, we can make money at $50. And so they put in these big old drilling budgets for the first half of the year and drilled the price right back down to $44, right? And so what happened, you know, was they, they always, you know, take another mid year look at their budgets for the second half of the year. And at the time they did that, the price was $43, $44. So they cut back on. Their drilling budgets for the second half of the year, and that's created this stable situation. But you know, you and, and they're going to execute on those budgets t- till the end of this year. But if the price is back above fifty dollars, you know, in December when they set their twenty eighteen budgets, well, they're going to set a bigger budget for the first half of next year and drill the price right back down to forty five dollars again. You know, it's and it's I just think that's kind of the cycle we're in um, for the foreseeable future. Um, although. There is, you know, there is the factor that we are getting closer and closer, even though the OPEC deal hasn't been a magic bullet to rebalance the market very quickly, we are continuing to get closer and closer to a balance between supply and demand globally. And when you hit that balance and there's not this big surplus of oil on the market, um, then you're probably going to see the price jump up another five dollars a barrel or so and that'll be when and that's probably going to happen sometime in 2018 and when that happens uh, then you're going to see uh, a pretty significant increase in drilling in the U.S. and really all over all over the globe as people try to take advantage of that higher price.
1: Well David we had you on uh, a couple weeks ago with some of the hurricane stuff and there was a piece that you pulled with Chevron Phillips uh, they had a plastic plant. They were doing like a six billion dollar expansion. It looks like it's going to be delayed until next year. Is that right?
3: Yeah, the the portion of it that uh, you know they're they're building it's a, it's a it's an ethanol plant, uh, a chemical plant uh, designed to to uh, create ethanol from ethane, the ethane portion of the gas stream of Eagle Ford shale gas, and um, what the what they have left to do, they've actually. Uh, gotten the plastics manufacturing piece of this plant open, but they haven't built their ethane cracker, which is just going to be a gigantic installation. Uh, they haven't completed it yet. And uh, they were scheduled to have it completed here in November, but Harvey um, and all the flooding that took place down there in the Baytown area as a result of flood uh, of Harvey has now delayed the completion of that ethane cracker until uh, Sometime in the first quarter of 2018, hopefully. But uh, you know, that's that's uh, kind of going to be an ongoing issue, and it has been for for many decades. Is is the potential for flooding down there in that part uh, of of East Texas and uh, and along the Ship Channel, and uh, it's just one of those things that's uh, been you know a significant setback for Chevron Phillips.
0: You know, on these ethane crackers, um, th- there was some talk at least a year ago that people were saying that, you know, the, the first one's in, they're going to make all the money. The second one's in a little bit, and then the third one's in, they're kind of out. Um, right. W- w- how does this affect their market strategy? Are, are their contracts already in place and they're kind of safe, or is it something that's a, a major concern for them to having to delay this?
3: Well, it's it's a big concern, and they do have a lot of, you know, supply contracts in place, uh, obviously. Um, but, you know, the delay is not that significant. It's not like they've got a two-year delay. It's three months, you know, and, and uh, the people they're supplying to just have to find uh, other sources of the product until then. Um, and I'm sure there will be penalties that Chevron Phillips will have to pay under some of those contracts. But, uh, you know, it's in, in the grand scheme of things with an investment this gigantic, you know, it's, it's costly, but it's not a, a major setback.
0: You know, one final thing about this article that just stuck out to me. It said that there's 10,000 temporary construction jobs and 400 yeah. permanent ones, which is really good for, you know, 400 jobs is always good. 10,000 temp jobs is great. But then it says there was one fatality last year when a contractor goes on to say that. It kind of struck me odd. Is that normally reported with, with an article like this? I didn't understand how the fatality tied into this article. What was your, what was your takeaway from the author just kind of throwing that, that, that throwaway sentence in there?
3: I don't understand it I you know that that was widely reported at the time it's tragic right it's right. terrible um you know when those kinds of incidents happen why you toss it into you know a year over a year later into this particular article it doesn't make any sense to me but uh, you know it just is what it is I you know the jobs number doesn't really surprise me though I'll tell you what if you ever drive by there uh, there must be 15 you know, high-rise construction cranes on that site. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a massive, massive operation going on there, and uh, very impressive just seeing it from the highway.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, obviously it's great. We always try to tell our listeners, hey, if you're looking for jobs, here's good spots, and so here's 400 that will be, you know, online yeah. once it's completed, but I just, the, the, the fatality thing, it really kind of caught me off guard because it wasn't what I was expecting to read next after I read about <laughs> all the jobs and obviously went to honor the poor person who died and that's terrible and we're about safety, but it was just, it was just kind of fit, it didn't fit in with the rest of the article. So I was curious if maybe this, you, you read a lot of these articles and maybe something that you see a lot and I, I just have overlooked, uh, but it just kind of caught I, me off guard. Uh,
3: you know, and, and uh, the, the the author of this article, Jordan Bloom, is a good reporter oh, yeah, and chronicle, right. I just yeah. think does a, you know, generally a really fine job uh, reporting on, on oil and gas-related issues. Uh, it's one of the few newspapers in the country that really does. And uh, I, you know, it's just kind of a throwaway line in this article that just uh, seems really out of place.
1: Well, uh, David, we had one of your pieces uh, that you put out on September twelfth at Forbes. Um, it was really around uh, infrastructure and some of the uh, some of the requests we had and trying to get some some funds together to. Come in and clean some of this mess up yeah. from from the hurricanes and and the flooding. And um, so it was an interesting article. We uh, I was looking over everything. You had a lot of a lot of stuff in there that I think's gonna be really important to get the economy uh, in in Texas the oil and gas economy back on its feet.
3: Yeah, you know, and there's a lot of background in that piece about what happened after Katrina. You know, with with uh, the Louisiana delegation, senators Bitter and Landrew coming in with this gigantic. 250 billion dollars special appropriations proposal um you know after the feds had already uh allocated an an additional 62 billion dollars for Katrina recovery they come in with that and you know i'm really hopeful that the texas delegation will take a lot more thoughtful approach to this uh there there is going to need to be additional federal monies uh, come into texas to help with this recovery um and you know, I, I guess you know, really the point of this article as much as anything else, just given my uh, focus on what I write about, is we also need to think about how do we protect uh, um, this refinery road that's in between, you know, runs along the Houston Ship Channel and down the Beaumont, Port Arthur, Orange, uh, that whole corridor, uh, what kind of projects need to be taken to protect those refineries and chemical plants and all, all that infrastructure? from potential flooding in the future, um, because as we saw, you know, we had 20 refineries get knocked offline by the flooding uh, from Harvey. And while Harvey's a very rare event and isn't going to happen a lot in the future, when something like that does happen, uh, it creates impacts all over the country. So, um, you know, something for policymakers to really think about and consider in their deliberations. Uh, I don't know that the oil and gas industry is going to be in there doing a bunch of lobbying for funds, but, uh, you know, when you have infrastructure that's vital to this entire economy in this country, as those refineries and chemical plants are, uh, it's something that these policymakers really need to be thinking about as they go through uh, creating this, this uh, sub- supplemental appropriation uh, for Harvey recovery.
0: You know, David, we've talked before, and uh, one of the things I think that oil and gas kind of uh, fails to do is to take this and say, hey, you know, here's reality. And, and we just talked about this, this previous article, um, you know, 400 jobs that are going to be pushed back now because, um, you know, the delays. And so, uh, and, and now if you step back and you go, okay, these refiners are shut down, um, and there's, there's very big impact, as you mentioned, across the, the U.S. economy and what's going to go on there. But, but sometimes it feels like, you know, oil and gas people, we almost forget, because for us it kind of makes sense, okay, you know, this refinery shut down, this percent, you know, it's going to impact the market like this, but we, we kind of forget that these are real people, and I'm wondering how do we sell that to the general public, because there are people who work at these refineries who are hurting, because they can't get a paycheck or um, they're getting a yeah. stipend check or whatever on top of whatever happened to their house um, and so how do we make that clear that it's not big oil, obviously big oil is tied up with this, but it's real people who are being affected um, by these shutdowns and slowdowns
3: yeah and and that hasn't gotten much reporting you know a lot of these jobs uh, at these refineries are hourly jobs they're not salaried positions you know and and so if your refinery shut down and you're not showing up for work you're not getting your hours in you know you're not getting a paycheck your paycheck gets cut and that impacts families it impacts communities it impacts all the businesses in these communities that, that support these these big plants And, uh, you know, it just doesn't get much attention from the media. Um, And and therefore, it doesn't get much attention from the public. But it's real. And uh, you're right. The oil and gas industry um, hasn't been an industry that really sells that piece of what it does very well. Or (laughs) quite frankly, (laughs) the oil and gas industry hasn't been an industry that communicates very well about anything. And, um, you know, and, and that's a shame because this these are real people, you know, r- who are really being uh, terribly impacted by, by what's happened down there you know, in the wake of this storm.
0: A- absolutely. And if you step outside of oil and gas, you know, big, big industry, no matter where you're at, unless you're like tech, I guess, um, they, they kind of get a pass on everything. But, you know, uh, pharmaceuticals, oil and gas, whatever, big industry banks, um, they're always kind of seen as villains. And, you know, sometimes they've heard yeah. that. Sometimes they do stuff. I'm not going to defend them all here, blanketly. but. But, but it seems like, you know, right now, um, if you step back, if you're an oil and gas company, and, and this, the points that you lay out in your article, you say, okay, you know what, we need some federal funds. A, we pay a lot of money. B, we employ a lot of people who are paying money, um, you know, varying scales depending on where they come in. You know, like you said, there's some salary people and a lot of hourly people. But but this but this is a very – it's a very deep Houston problem, and we're talking about fixing the problems in Houston here. Um, and then it rolls back to people around the country and how it impacts them. And, and sometimes these hurricanes, they come in, and we, we focus so much on um, – you know, what's going to go on in Florida or Houston or whatever. And we forget that, you know what, if there's, uh, we talked, uh, with, uh, down one of other shows talking about all the cars that were destroyed in Houston. Well, well, the impact on that, obviously it's a direct impact on Houston, but it's a direct impact on other parts of the country that we're not talking about because now they have to up their production. And so, uh, making it humanized is something that, you know, know, me and you've talked about before and Josh as well, is that we want to do. And so I appreciate your article. I think it's great. And, um, how how do, how do you think oil and gas companies can, can go to Congress and say, yeah, we would like some money without looking greedy, because that's always the fear, I'm sure, from their standpoint, is they're, they're going to be, uh, they're probably afraid they're going to come across as greedy. Yeah, well, I mean,
3: of course, the way to sell it is not that, you know, we want money for our industry. The way to sell it is, you know, these these facilities are vital to these communities. And as you're going through uh, considering measures to take on flood protection, you need to be thinking about, you know, the place, protecting the places that provide all the jobs in these communities. And by the way, there were gasoline shortages in Maine and Vermont in the wake of Harvey uh, because the Colonial Pipeline and other pipelines that carry gasoline up to the northeast from Texas were shut in because the refineries couldn't supply gasoline to the pipelines, And people don't understand that. And so if the industry wants to really play a role in this, the, the role they need to play is, look, these, these plants, these big plants are big job providers uh, for these communities and, you know, our people spend money in these communities and support every other business in the communities, right? So you, you need to think about this globally, not just in terms of protecting streets from flooding, but but also think about protecting these, these big industrial installations uh, from getting flooded as well, because that's where you start losing jobs and really harming people's incomes.
0: Well, the first two articles, as Josh mentioned, we pulled from a daily piece that you put out for ShellMag.com. It's just called uh, What You Need to Know in Oil and Gas Today. And it's about a dozen things that you hit from your, I think, your Twitter feed, and you kind of put in there great curated content for the listeners. Be sure to go to ShellMag.com and check that out. We'll link to it in the show notes. And this, and then the third article, obviously, was a piece that you wrote for Forbes. Um, you, put, you put out stuff for Forbes and for oil price. Uh, where else can people find you, David?
3: Uh, as you mentioned, shellmag.com. I, I do feature writing and editing for that magazine and uh, also at World Oil uh, Magazine. I, I'm a feature writer there on a quarterly basis. And, uh, you know, I pop up here and there um, in other places as well, but it's all linked together at my own webshot site, which is dbdailyupdate.com.
0: Okay, great. And we will link to that in the show notes. David, it was great to have you back on again. It's been a few weeks, and uh, I know you, you were in Vegas and you went through some, uh, you sick a little bit. So it was great to get you back on. Always love your insight and look forward to having you back on again soon. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks, David. Well, as promised, we have on Sergio Chapa next. Sergio actually had to come on a little bit later, so Josh had to hop off, but we were able to track him down. And so here was my conversation with Sergio Chapa from the San Antonio Business Journal. Well, Sergio, it's good to have you back on again today. Um, a lot to get into. Let's get started. Uh, you've been excited to talk about this. I know. Uh, I saw you had an article come out on the twentieth about this Mexican fuel market is is kind of is kind of heating up. To use a pun, there. What's going on?
4: Thanks, Ryan. Always a pleasure. No, you're right. Um, you know, the the Mexican fuel mar- fuels market over the past two weeks has definitely been heating up. We're seeing a lot of activity there. Um, in you know, I mean like San Antonio based refining company and the first Arco gas stations in Tijuana, they're going to build up to 200 to 400 uh, of those gas stations over the next couple of years. That's a major push. And then Valero had a big announcement with the, uh, you know, a storage terminal and, and uh, refined products by rail, you know, starting in Veracruz and then going in, into the Mexican interior in Puebla, you know, we're seeing like all types of activity, you know, know other companies as well new star got some presidential permits to do some couple cross cross-border uh pipeline projects and and you know just just earlier this week it was from uh six texas energy companies meet with uh governor greg abbott and uh top topics like it is with PEMEX. that's mexico now they all sat down for a dinner but, you know, they did talk a lot of shop during that, that little meeting, and uh, things are looking really good for the Mexican fuels market right now. I mean, we're seeing, like, sustained demand for the next, you know, five to ten years. And, and, and these companies from Texas, they're looking to fill those gaps.
0: Yeah, and yeah, we've cool talked about that. We talked about in the show a lot is that this, this is one of those things where you want to sit down and let the market work. And the market in Mexico, it, it's a natural, natural plug in for Texas. And so it's good to hear that the politicians aren't getting in the way because sometimes, you know, you'll, you'll see that there's a lot of grandstanding going on and, and all this. Let, let's get business done because the people in, in Mexico need this. And the citizens of Texas, we also need this. It could be a, a very good long term partnership between you know, the state of Texas and the government of Mexico.
4: No, definitely. Uh, you know, with Mexico's big, sagging production, you know, Texas is ideal to fill the gaps. And it, you know, can be done in a number of ways, Ryan. It can be done by tanker trucks. It can be done by rail. It can be done by uh, sea-faring tankers. And it can be done by pipelines. Any way you turn and You know, at the governor's office earlier this week, we had representatives from the energy transfer partners, Parsley, Hunt Oil, and Howard Energy, all of those big players in their own ways. And more interestingly, it represents opportunities in upstream Midstream and downstream, so every, everybody's getting a little piece of that pie right now you know uh, in the Mexican fuels market,
0: right, and you mentioned Valero just just a second ago, which is where I want to go next. You had a piece on Valero, big news coming out of Valero. Um, we talked about them on the show, what they have going on in Mexico. It kind of ties in at least with the Mexican theme, but they have news at the top what's going on there?
4: Oh yeah, no, definitely. Um, you know there was a, an SEC filing, of course, I monitored them uh, their filings you know every day and uh, and there's an interesting behind-the-scenes move taking place with Valero and their corporate governance. Um, you know, the company had amend- the board of directors met and they voted to amend their bylaws to, uh, to allow you know uh, stockholders to call for special meetings. But they set a series of conditions. You know, 20% of stockholders have to-, to be calling for this meeting. And there's a set of conditions. You know, it can't be 90 days before this or 90 days after that. There's all types of but nonetheless, it's a stockholder-friendly move. It's being interpreted that way. And then they also did more stockholder-friendly amendments that they're proposing to, to change to their, you know, Articles of Incorporation, their charter, and uh, decided in a in a vote at the company's annual stockholder meeting in 2018. Yeah, and it looks
0: like the stockholders have responded positively. Shares are almost up $4 over the course of the last week. So it looks like that people are, resp- the market at least, is responding to this news in a positive manner. Um. One final thing before we get you out of here. Your weekly drilling permit, now we uh, round up. We record this on Fridays, and so you're going to release a new one on Monday when when the show comes out. But tell us what we missed last week. Um, I love reading this report every week. As you know, I'm a a subscriber, so uh, for those who aren't, what do they miss?
4: Right, no, I mean, you can't get any more uh, ahead of the curve than than reading the permits. These things are filed before the drilling starts. So um, one thing that I found is that that Statoil, the the Norwegian oil company, they're, they're sort of reviving their their drilling program in the Eagleford Shale, um, you know, many, many of your uh, listeners know, I mean, stat oil came into the Eagleford Shale in, in February, 2013. And, and, you know, yeah. they filed, you know, 260 drilling permits, but, you know, they kind of took a, you know, walk, walk back there at years, but, but now this year we're seeing them getting back in the game. So they have 39 drilling permits and, and just the latest they filed a, a couple of weeks ago were in DeWitt County. And, and you know, that's one of the prolific uh, Eagleford, so that, that looks like a good project for them. They, they had primarily been a Carnes County player, but now it looks like they're kind of branching out a little bit in their leases in, in DeWitt County. So that's a very interesting business move for Staddlewell.
0: Yep, yep. and for our listeners looking to capitalize on Eagleford opportunities, obviously Sergio Chapa is one of the go-to places to find out this kind of information. Um, now, I know you were a little bit delayed getting on the show today because you had some big breaking news on solar, so for the listeners who are interested in solar, go check out Sergio. I don't know, when are those stories, your solar stories coming out, Sergio?
4: They should be being posted to our website right now.
0: <laughs> okay, so by the time this goes live, they will be there, and you can go to the San Antonio Business yep. Journal and find uh, Sergio. Um, all of his work there. I get the paper and the electronic edition. I love reading it. Um, one final thing before we get you out of here: um, Cabot Oil and Gas. I know you're kind of. You said a lot of breaking news. Any of that have to do with Cabot?
4: Well, Ryan, you know, my apologies to Cabot. We just ran out of time on this radio edition.
0: Okay, well, we will get to Cabot next week. And where can people find you at on Twitter? Because you're very active there and a great follow.
4: Well, yeah, of course. It's at schoppa, S-A-B-J.
0: Okay, we will link to that in the show notes. And be sure to subscribe to the San Antonio Business Journal. Um, A lot of good information there. Sergio, thanks for your time. We look forward to getting you on again soon. Thanks, Ryan. And thanks again to Sergio, David, and Tom, all for coming on today. Really enjoyed it. Josh had to hop off here and take care of some business. So I'm going to close out shop for us today. And we didn't get to talk to Sergio about this on the air, but off the air, I did ask him if he will be attending the SPE conference on October 9th through the 11th. And he said he probably will. So if you're a listener to the show and you want to meet Sergio, um, there's a good opportunity to see him there. I'm sure we'll talk about it as the event gets closer. I will certainly be there and hope to see you there. Um, question real quick. We threw this out last week. Obviously, we're talking about kind of revamping the show, making it a little bit different, a little bit longer, and a little bit more content. Uh, we'd love to get some more feedback from the listeners. Ryan at GlobalEnergyMedia.com. Ryan at GlobalEnergyMedia.com. Do you like bringing on the conferences? Do you like bringing on um, the reporters? Would you like to see some company reports where companies come on and talk about projects that they've worked on? For you guys, the listeners, this show is about bringing you value so that you can help grow your business and stay knowledgeable about all things Texas oil and gas. We really appreciate you tuning in. And if you could, take just a second and leave us a five-star or greater review in iTunes. Um, We appreciate those uh, always. And until next time, keep climbing.